Welcome to Awakened and Alive After 40, a weekly podcast about stepping outside of the box and into a life that is true to who you really are. We're your hosts, Dominique and Carrie, two 40-something-year-old friends and coaches who are on a journey to live the second half of our lives with greater flow and ease. Our passion is to guide and support our clients in becoming their most authentic and aligned selves. We love digging into a variety of topics and sharing some of our insights and perspectives through our coaching lenses. We both spent the first half of our lives trying to fit into a box only to realize we were burnt out and searching for a better way to do life. We are here to remind you that it's never too late to start living your best life. Let's get into today's episode. Today, we are so excited to be talking about something I think we will all relate to on some level, and that is the idea of struggle. Just that universal struggle. We're all human. We are all struggling in life in one way or another. Even if someone's life looks perfect from the outside, there's always some sort of internal struggle or something someone is trying to hide. And so basically, we just want to talk about that idea and normalize it a little bit in the hopes that we can all understand this about each other a little bit more in order to judge each other less. It's really difficult to be human. We're all struggling in some way or another, right? Yeah, every single one of us. And I think it's really important for us to remind ourselves that we can often feel very alone in our struggles because they're so personal and to remind ourselves that, okay, we're not alone, that everyone else out there is struggling in their own way as well. And like you just kind of touched on briefly, Carrie, about how we only see the surface of people in our lives, that tip of the iceberg. And so we can start to assume things and project upon people because we're not seeing the depths on an everyday basis. Yes, maybe with our deeper connections and more intimate relationships, but even those we still do not or will ever fully understand and know someone else. I mean, good grief. Like I still struggle to understand myself <laughs> and I live with me all the time. But at the same time, that's why I think with our message, how we're always talking about greater compassion, not only for self, but for others is so crucial because we will never fully understand or know what somebody else is going through and struggling with in their own life. Exactly. I think one of the biggest areas that we all can relate to in a struggle is this whole idea of scarcity mindset. So struggling because a lack of or a belief that there's a lack of, whether it's money, safety, necessities, food, housing, work, this is the foundation in my mind of what leads a lot of us to feel like we are struggling or we aren't keeping up with how we feel like we should be performing. Or if we compare ourselves to societal benchmarks and expectations, it can really make us feel this lack in some way that we aren't meeting our own idea of where we should be at. Yeah, I greatly agree with you on that. And of course, you 
probably know very well my love of the nervous system if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, but I am always going to bring it back to that to some extent with the topics that we cover because it is our nervous system that is guiding us in life and creating the stories and beliefs because ultimately as human beings, we want to belong and we want to know that we're safe. And so that requires us to seek a certain amount of certainty and prioritize a certain amount of certainty. So when we're kind of looking at our struggles, a lot of it is because we don't have control over everything. There's a lot of uncertainty in our lives and we can try and try and try to make things play out the way we want them to and have that sense of certainty, but it's a constant tug of war. And when it comes to the nervous system, that seeking of safety and knowing that we're belonging is such priority as human beings. So it's very much something that every one of us is going to relate to. And that it's something I think it's important where, again, it goes with that compassion. Like this is our biology. We can fight it as much as we want to, but we are never going to win against it. And so it's more of what you resist will persist. And this is where I'm hoping that our society and the consciousness in general is starting to create a greater shift towards just allowing and surrendering and having the idea of the life that you want, but not trying to be in complete control over it. That's such a great point. So many of us are just white knuckling life at this point, trying to control everything. And I think a lot of that is conditioned into us because we feel like we have to present this idealized way of how we are perceived, even how we perceive ourselves. And so a lot of us try to keep the surface of ourselves looking really presentable and really acceptable by societal standards. And that means that most of us are probably hiding something or feeling shame about something in our lives that we desperately don't want other people to see. And this leads to this idea of internal struggle, whether it's vices that we're trying to hide, addictions, parts of our shadow, the fact that we don't align with societal standards and so we feel like we don't fit in and that people aren't going to accept us or that we will be rejected because we aren't following the normal ideas of how one should be living like all of these things can lead us to feel a sense of shame and so it makes us try to present something that's more I keep using the word acceptable, but that's pretty. That yeah. looks how we think people want us to look. Yep. And wow, I resonate with that so hard, so hard, because I think it was in last week's episode, I mentioned that with my human design, my conscious son, which for each of us makes up 70% of our life theme. Mine is the gate 28, which is the gate of struggle. So I am here to struggle, to see adventure in the struggle, to not allow it to defeat me. But growing up, especially with the history of sexual abuse and rape and the body image issues that I've had, 
the difficulty with accepting my feminine energy, that had me hold on to so much shame throughout my life. And so I wore a lot of different masks in order to hide that shame, to belong, to fit in, to pretend that I wasn't really hurting and struggling. And for myself, I greatly believe that when we are experiencing emotional pain, that is our signpost that we are not living authentically true to ourselves. And I started to look at that as like a beautiful indicator of when I'm off track because yes, all of the pain that I was experiencing, all the struggle I was going through was because I wasn't feeling safe with just being myself, allowing myself to remove the mask or masks <laughs> that I would wear. And over the years and probably within the past year, I have come to understand even more greatly how crucial it is for us to alleviate the pain, the emotional pain, physical pain of the struggles we're going through. It starts with learning how to live more authentically, how to love yourself, to have greater compassion for yourself. And it may sound selfish to a lot of individuals. And you know what? I used to think that as well, but I quickly came to realize that if I didn't do this for myself and learn to love myself, then there was nothing to give to others. And I would be seeking instead of giving throughout my life. So yeah, what you shared about this caring of shame and discomfort and hiding that it creates, man, I know all about that. And I know so many listeners are probably nodding their heads to that right now too. Yeah. And the idea of shame has come up in past episodes when we're talking about the Enneagram system because the three types, types two, three, and four, which are the types that lead with the heart center, tend to have shame as a major presence in their life a little bit more than the other types. Obviously, all humans experience shame, but these three types tend to deal with it on a little bit more of a regular basis. They tend to be more image focused. And so they're more hyper aware how they are perceived by others. And they try to adjust in some way based on that. Another really interesting part of the Enneagram system that I haven't really touched on a lot in our discussions are the instinctual drives. And that's because they are very layered and very complicated. And I'm still educating myself on some of the deeper aspects of them. But as humans, Obviously, we are part of the animal kingdom and we all have instincts that we're born with. The Enneagram system has layered these instincts within the type structures in a really interesting way. And usually how people perceive it is that we have an instinct that we are really focused on and that we tend to lead with. We have a secondary instinct that we also work on fulfilling. And then our third instinct, we tend to be a little bit blind to. The three instincts I'm talking about are self-preservation, social, and sexual. So these are three areas that as humans, we all need to fulfill, but we may struggle or feel a lack in our life for our neglected instinct. So whether it's self-preservation, social, or sexual, one of those instincts, we might not understand how best to fulfill it. And so that can just create a natural area of struggle in our lives. 
I am super excited to hear more about this from you in the future, because I know just in our own conversations, we've talked a little bit about it and I am incredibly curious to know more about it for myself. I kind of have my ideas of what I might prioritize and what might be kind of on the back burner, so to say. So yeah, I love that part of the Enneagram and I'm certainly excited to learn more about that through our conversations. And then of course, whatever we are bringing to the table, we're going to be sharing here with the listeners too, because I have not seen that and much discussion from what I see like on Instagram and things like that when it comes to the Enneagram. Is that something that kind of isn't really spoken about so much? It's interesting. It's sort of a controversial area Mm. because for layered reasons. One, the foundational instinctual teachings are being questioned now by some of the more modern Enneagram researchers and experts. And it's really interesting sort of the two sides. And I was educated more in the traditional instinct belief system. And I'm currently trying to educate myself in the more modern way of seeing it, which goes against a lot of the traditional teachings. So I'm still trying to sort of wrap my brain around it all and where I fall in it. Secondly, I think because the Enneagram has been embraced by a lot of Christian churches, I think the instincts have gotten watered Mm. down because of the sexual instinct which as humans sexuality is an important part of who we are but when the enneagram is brought into a church arena or even a corporate arena they don't want to touch those topics they don't want to talk about those topics unless it's in very watered down traditional ways and so i think that has also contributed to this particular topic in the system sort of being pushed to the corner because when you're bringing a personality quote unquote system to a corporate world or to a church group you don't want to necessarily be focusing on people's sexual instincts which is such a shame because it is so incredibly natural and it's one of the most divine energies that we carry as human beings. And of course, over the years, the way it's become taboo because of what we've done as humans to the teaching of sexuality and the stories of it, it unfortunately has really given that bad reputation in many different areas. Even some Enneagram teachers have renamed the sexual instinct as Mm. the one-on-one instinct, meaning you just enjoy one-on-one time with someone. And that has morphed it into a very watered down like I just enjoy personal intimacy without talking about the sexual part of it and I think these modern people who are trying to teach it in a more in-your-face way like no this means sex Mm -hmm. like this means sexual chemistry it's not just a one-on-one connection between people according to these watered down beliefs this would be a one-on-one instinct and not a social instinct Interesting. And the modern people are like, no, no, no. I mean, because people were even trying to make the case that a mother-child relationship is one-on-one intimacy. Well, are you going to put that in a sexual instinct? Mm. No. That's Mm. a social instinct. Yeah, right. Oh, what a wonderful tangent. We need to, yeah. I think we need to Long do a tangent whole... about the instincts. Yeah, but... but no, we need to do a whole episode on this because, yeah, I can tell right now you and I can go on about this for a while. But the interesting thing coming from the human design lens when we're talking about struggle is, and again, I'm going to kind of just share from my own personal experience, 
is that human design, the learnings that I've taken away from it have been like a permission slip for me to simply be who I was born to be. And the wild thing is before I even started studying human design, I had in the back of my mind that my goal in life was just to be who I was born to be. As memories started coming back for me because my coping mechanism from my past trauma was dissociation. As memories started coming back, I started to have these little glimpses and glimmers of myself when I was five and my tenacity, my curiosity, my just love of humanity and life that I had lost completely started coming back to me, rushing back to me. And I was like, whoa, who is this person? Then when I learned more about my design, all of these pieces started coming together, showing me that, hey, this is your true authentic way of being. And so it was this permission slip for me to just start to make these small baby steps to learning how to reconnect with my true self. And for me, that is something that I am just so passionate about when it comes to teaching people about human design. And a lot of it, of course, with our struggles is also wrapped around our conditioning. And I know we touched a little bit about like the shadows and the way we try to fit in. But ultimately, the conditioning, there's so many different ways in which a few of them, the openness in our centers and our chart, of course, are imprinting from our families and caregivers, the beliefs and behaviors that we were around throughout our childhood and a few other areas that I won't go into, but there's multiple ways that we become conditioned. And I'll always kind of take it back to the struggles we face, the pain we're experiencing is coming from a place of not being authentic. And human design shows us how we are energetically hardwired to interact with the world, to interact with others, the gifts that we're here to give to the world and the purpose that we're serving in a way. And it's not, let's put you in this box. No, everything in the chart, and I know with Enneagram too, has a spectrum the high and the low side of it. So you have all of these possibilities and you get to choose how you want to experience it in your life. Some themes are going to be stronger than others for people, but from the human design lens, it was something that greatly guided me towards revealing more and more of my true self. And it's a lifelong journey for every one of us. But I've come to realize that this is a journey that I am excited about, and it's a journey back to myself in order to live more greatly in this place of love that we talk so much about and to try and set fear aside. Fear has its place for sure, but its place is not to run our lives. That comes from love. That's really beautiful. I'm interested to hear if you have any ideas about ways that you've worked with clients or you yourself have worked on cultivating less judgment and more compassion for others and for ourselves, just understanding when people are struggling and how to judge that less. I think a lot of it is going to, for what I've seen with my clients and myself and something that I work on a lot is identifying the beliefs in stories that we carry with ourselves. 
and really examining those beliefs and trying to get to the core emotion that they bring up within our lives as well. And it also goes back to understanding when you are looking at your beliefs. One of mine, for example, was that I'm not smart enough to be an entrepreneur because I only have education in physical therapy. And so looking at that belief, I struggled a lot because it's kind of like I'm playing it out where it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to try for this because I'm not good enough or smart enough. And so it gave me this sense of lack. And if we are telling ourselves that we're lacking something, then we're certainly most likely not going to be putting the effort forth in order to try to prove ourselves wrong. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So identifying what beliefs we're carrying, what stories are we telling ourselves is a, a huge starting point because then we get to dissect them. We get to then look at what is the truth of it? What do I want to believe instead? Just layering onto what you just said, something that I do is I just try to truly remember, and this is more than just lip service. I really try to remember that each day, every person I encounter is struggling with something that I don't know about. And it's so easy to jump to thinking about just all the negative reasons why someone is acting like a jerk or just displaying behavior that isn't my preferred way for them to be acting, whether it's in public and it's a stranger or it's someone in my life who I know. And I just try to remind myself, we are all much more similar than we are different. We have the same basic needs and desires. Foundationally, we all just want to be accepted and unconditionally loved. And this person, mm -hmm. whoever it is, who's rubbing me the wrong way or doing something annoying is struggling with something. And that in and of itself can automatically bring about this sense of compassion for them. And I don't need to know what they're struggling with. I just need to understand and remember that they're struggling with something, as am I. And that something is causing them to behave in this way that isn't their optimal self. I love that you bring that up because right away, I'm thinking about when it comes to the nervous system. And this is something else that I think is really helpful for all of us to realize is that when we come across someone like you were just saying, like someone acts just out of character or they're acting childlike, that is because their nervous system took them back in time to a moment when they were seven or eight or whenever it was. And this interaction felt so familiar that it took them back and their nervous system actually caused them to respond as they were responding at that age. That is just the wildest thing about the nervous system, how it has like this timestamp for events that had great impact on us. So when someone is acting like a child in a way, they are literally being taken back to that moment when they felt unsafe or attacked or that they weren't being seen or loved or heard. And every one of us will do this. And with it being a place within our biology, just having, like you said, greater compassion, realizing that, hey, that's okay. This happens. It maybe didn't happen the best way, but also another way of that is to look at ourselves when that happens, to identify our own triggers. We can identify and better understand our triggers 
then that's at least one person that we're controlling within these interactions. So we're not coming from a place of reacting, more so from that place of responding. But this is where we can then shift and train our bodies, our nervous system to minimize that type of reaction. And again, that awareness is really key. So just taking a step back, identifying our own triggers and realizing other people have theirs. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it with friends and or family. We'd be incredibly grateful if you rated and reviewed the podcast on your preferred listening platform as it really helps. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can connect with us through our websites or Instagram, which are all linked in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme song was written by Michael Ahrens.